0: Let's pray and get into Hebrews. Father, we thank you once again, Lord, for how great you are. I thank you for your word that you've given us, that God, now we can open up your word and we can allow you to speak to our hearts. And yes, Lord, this was written to some people a couple thousand years ago who were, who were just not much different than us or just doing life and going through life and struggling, having joys, having sorrows, having victories and getting beat up some. But Lord, here you are ministering to their hearts just like you wanna to minister to our hearts. So I pray you would give us understanding with our mind and Lord, healing in our hearts and a rejoicing in our hearts as we uh, uh, spend time with you. And Lord, as we have this fellowship with you through your word. Bless this time we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we're looking at this once again, I know that this section in Hebrews gets a little bit like, what on earth is going on? Remember, he's talking to Jews who have who have come to Jesus, and some of them are wanting to go back to their old way. So he's dealing with the whole idea of here's what went on in the temple. And here's where Jesus is so much greater. And he's talked about his blood being more effective than the blood of animals. He's talked about his priesthood being more effective than the priesthood. He's even talked about the tabernacle he's gone into is more effective than the tabernacle that they had. Now, now listen, now he kind of gets down to the nitty gritty. He's going to get down to, hey, here's the old covenant. Here's the new covenant. And he's going to talk about, listen, and I think the most important thing he's going to talk about today Sin is ugly. When you think about the Old Testament, anybody who's read through the Old Testament, it gets pretty gory, doesn't it? It's pretty bloody. Why? Because sin is that ugly. When you think about, and we're gonna read some, when you think about the sacrifices and and what they went through, and you know, bottom line, man, that was bloodbath after bloodbath. I'm not talking about wars, I'm talking about just sacrifices. Why? Because sin is ugly. And then this major thing, sin cost life. The wages of sin is death. You can't, listen, you cannot take care of your sin, you cannot heal your sin in any way except by blood. And it's either gonna be your blood, the blood of Jesus you have to choose and you have to come to that place so listen as he picks this up he's kind of talked about he's let us know about the blood of Christ and and uh, through the eternal spirit how he offered himself now look at verse 15 and for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal uh, inheritance. Now, I think he says a lot of things there. Number one, Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is our go-between. You know, oftentimes, and we may be even seeing sometimes, you can can come to God just as you are. No, you can't. You can't. You can come to Jesus just as you are, but the only way you can get to God is through Jesus. You can't just come, listen, you can't you can just waltz into the presence of God. You gotta go through Jesus, and he's, I, I love this idea, man, he's our mediator. He's the one who's going to make sure we get in the presence of God. That's what he does, and he's the mediator. He says, listen, the mediator of the new covenant, why? Because he died. He died for our sins. His blood opens up the way for you and I to have fellowship with God. Now he does say, even for those, redeeming those who were under the old covenant. I like, to, I like to emphasize this, man from the beginning, from Adam until the very end is saved the same exact way. There's not one way to get saved in the Old Testament, another way to get saved in the New Testament. Everyone who's ever been saved is saved by faith in what Jesus Christ either has done, or for the Old Testament people, they were looking forward. They were told the Messiah is going to come. Here's what's going to happen. They put their faith in that. You and I, we look back. But listen, we're all saved the same. But here's the good news, man. When you're saved, here's what he says that you can receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that you're part of an eternal inheritance? Not just, listen, not just a temporary, not just a stopgap measure. Jesus didn't come and kind of, you know, give us a kickstart. He saved us eternally. How cool is that? When you just stop and think about that and you just stop and meditate on that, man, you're ready to face the day, right? Hey, your life may be upside down right now. I don't know all of you, I don't know everything going on. I know some of you and some of you are struggling and going through things. But here's what I do know, if you're born again, man, you have an eternal inheritance. The things going on here, you know, sometimes I think this, who cares? Now listen, not in a way that I don't care about the world and I don't care about what happens, but here's what I'm saying, man. I have something so much greater, so much better. And when I focus on that, I'm not caught up in these little arbitrary things going on. So listen, man, he's trying to push these guys. What was going on in their lives? Once again, man, they were being ostracized by their community, by their families. Everybody's pushing them out. There, even some of them were being persecuted. And here's what he's saying. Get your eyes off of that and get your eyes on Jesus and start looking at Jesus and look at what he's done. Now, he's talked about that. Now, now listen, he's gonna kind of change it a little bit. How many of you have a big headline, kind of thing in between verse 15 and 16 like it's a big separation yeah you know it makes me mad when they do that in the bible sometimes you need to white you need to white that out because it shouldn't be there Listen, man, 16 goes right into 15. What does he said? By his death, listen, by his death, you have been given this eternal inheritance. And then, and then he goes on and says, for where there is a testament, there must of necessity be the death of a testator for a testament is in force after men who are dead since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Now, listen, I know that King James, the New King James uses that word testator. I kind of like that word. But bottom line, the guy who made it, right? Most of us know. You know, in the world, he's just bringing up a worldly thing. You know, in the world, when someone makes out a will, right, that that will's only in effect once the person who wrote the will dies. I was going to say something kind of flippant, and I didn't. Thank you, Lord. so once that person listen once that person dies then it becomes an effect as long as they're alive listen someone could will you 80 million dollars and until they're gone it's nothing right and that's what listen that is what his point is now here's what I I like I like what the author of Hebrews does Before all of this, before and especially in verse 15, he's using the word covenant. Most of us are more used to that, right? But then in 16 and 17, he uses the word testament, or some of your translations have the word will. And people go, did he change? Listen, it's the same exact word. Whether you're talking about the old covenant and the new covenant, or you could say the old will and the new will. The old will was written a certain way. The new will, if you will, is in Jesus Christ. But listen, it does not have effect until he dies. And that's important to understand. I believe with all my heart, God made a new covenant with Israel through Jeremiah. Didn't Jeremiah talk about it? And he says it's a new covenant. Why was it a new covenant? Because they had an old covenant I shared a couple weeks ago. The new covenant, the covenant's not with us, the church, the covenant's with Israel. We get grafted in, hallelujah, right? It's kinda like we, get, we kinda get sucked in, like you know those vacuums that have the, the thing under your, your little kick plate, and so you get all the, we get sucked in there and we get to be part of it because God is gracious. But listen, man, the new covenant he made with Israel and it could not go into effect until Jesus died. So think about what he's telling them. You're sitting there in the first century, you're kinda of messed up, you're kinda of tired of life, you're tired of what's going on, and, and he comes and he says something like that, and all of a sudden you're thinking, yeah. What was I thinking? Why did I wanna go back to the old way? Why did I wanna go back and do those things that had, had no effect in my life, had no power in my life? And yet I can have this relationship and I can come into the presence of God. Remember last time we talked about a Jew never got closer to God, even the Jewish men never got closer to God than right inside that court of the men, right by the the big altar, right? The brazen altar, I like to call it the barbecue, right? That's as close as they got and that was it. Now think about, now you can go right into the presence of God and they gotta be, listen, they gotta be thinking about that. He's got them them interested. So now, listen, he lays all that out. It never goes into force till the person dies who wrote it. So verse 18, therefore, right, here's here's what's going on. I love this. The author of Hebrews is being very logical. If this is true and this is true, then this has to be true, right? It's kind of the opposite of today. Today, there's a lot of things. I'm thinking if this is true and this is true, then the CD says, then don't Pay attention to that because this is what we're doing. It's not logical. Listen, this is very logical. If this is true and this is true, then here's, listen, here's what you and I can hold in our hearts, right? So therefore, he says, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. So what is he saying? Once again, a covenant cannot be made without the shedding of blood. Why did God have that first covenant with all the shedding of blood. You know, sometimes people ask me, why did God create if he knew there was gonna be sin? I don't think we can really fully answer that. You can ask God, I have, I have some opinions about it, but I don't wanna share my opinions, but listen, I, I think you can. but here's the greater question. Why did God create if he knew his son was gonna have to come and die for other people's sins? I think that's a greater question and here's what he's saying, man, in the very beginning, from the beginning, even the old covenant, he's telling us, was put into effect through blood. Why so bloody? I, li- I liken it to this, why was there a bloodbath almost daily at that altar, why? Because that's how ugly sin is. First and foremost, God is trying to get you and I to realize sin costs, and here's what it costs, life. And it's bloody and messy and ugly. And I believe in America today, we're obviously far removed from that stuff, but we've kind of accepted the idea that, you know, sin is sort of acceptable because of, and fill in the blank. No, it's not. Do you know sin is as ugly today as it was in the, you know, in the Old Testament times or in the time of Christ? It's ugly. So here's what he's saying. Even, even the first covenant was dedicated with blood. Verse 19: for when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet or scarlet wool, and hyssop. And he sprinkled both the book itself and the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Now, this sort of blows my mind. Listen, and, and for homework, if you're not familiar with that whole scene, read Exodus chapter 24. It's interesting. Exodus chapter 24 gives you a lot of information, but... I was going to say Genesis. What book are we in? Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9 gives you a little bit more because in, in, in uh, Exodus, it's, it doesn't even mention that he sprinkles a book. But I want you to just get a mental picture for a moment. You're excited. Man, you have assembled together like some of you are excited that you're in church today. Some of you not so much. But listen. Listen, some of you are going, yeah, I wish I could go home. But listen, man, imagine going and you're excited about what is happening and this guy gets up and he starts slaughtering animals, catching their blood in a basin. Then all of a sudden he gets this hunk of wool and he sticks it on this hyssop branch and he like dunks it in the blood and he sprinkles this book and you're going, yeah. And then he does this, whoosh, and you got blood all over you. How would that feel? I mean, every time I read that, I think, that's kind of gross. Have you ever had anybody splash blood on you? That's kind of funky. It's not what you're thinking. And that's how he instituted the covenant. That's crazy. I I personally think that's crazy. Hey, I was raised in the Serbian Orthodox Church. I've shared with you guys before. You know, we did some weird things because they're Serbians. And hey, when when I was baptized as a kid, I was baptized, I sprinkled with water, and I got got wine thrown on me. I was sprinkled with wine. I don't know why they do wine because they're Serbians. But they never threw blood on me. That's just like funky, isn't it? So, listen, here's what he's saying. And, and again, read Exodus 24. Get the picture. You cannot have a covenant without blood. Wow. And then get the greater picture. You can't have salvation without blood. And that's how, that blood is Jesus Christ. He's trying again, get the picture of that. So once again, I'm thinking if I'm in that audience, I'm not gonna be real happy as he's throwing blood on me. I'm gonna be a little bit like dude, lighten up. That's why some of you sit all the way in the back. That's what, that's what I know. You're way back there because you're afraid one day something might happen. So listen, man, he, he lets them know that, and then he said all of that was according to the law. So he's following this procedure, and now that book, right? This is a scroll that they're going to read. Imagine getting a scroll out and caked blood on it, right? Oh, it gets better. Look at, the, look at, look at what else he does. Verse 21, then likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of ministry. Here's, here's what's going on. Then he turns around, and again, I'm thinking, this is gross. And he has his basin of blood, number one, who carries around a basin of blood? And you <laughs> stick your thing in it, and now you start flinging it. Now, if, you, if you've ever read about the tabernacle, and we talked about it last week, it's pretty intricate, Right? Those who have read it, and I know a lot of us have read it many times, and you get, some of us, if we're honest, we get a little bored and we kind of blow through that, right? Like who really cares how many pomegranates were on this, you know, this stitch, and who really cares about this? But it's so intricate, but do you ever picture it in your mind how beautiful that tabernacle must have been? And again, some people have done great things. Uh, I shared there was one app that did some great things that you could do that the app went away. But just get a, get a picture of this deep blue uh, 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 tapestry then with inlaid gold on it. And then you have the, the, all the intricate work and you're looking at it and you're going, that's beautiful. And Moses comes along and goes, you think it's beautiful? Watch this, blood all over it. Seriously. Seriously. He's throwing blood all over that. You've got this, you've got this, this lampstand, right? The menorah, pure gold, this beautiful piece of work. Oh, that's beautiful, Moses. Yeah. Blood. Wow. Hmm. I don't think God is bloodthirsty. I think God is so concerned about our well being that He is going to go to those extremes to get us to understand sin is ugly. All of that was made, well, look at the next verse, look what he says. Verse 22, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Some of your translations, this one stops at remission, some go on of sin. That's what he's talking about. So once again, we're at the place, how how can I take care of my sin? By blood, yours or Jesus's. It's the only way. Listen, there's not there's not a whole bunch of options. You have to choose. Now, I I kind of like the honesty of the writer. He says almost all things. Did you pick up on that? Almost all things, and, and, and I read that, and, and again, studying that, I'm going, why, why would he say almost all things? And, you know, in the beginning, I'm thinking, well, you know, some of the utensils maybe didn't get blood on them or something, and maybe, they, you know, they're just inanimate objects. Like, last I checked, most inanimate objects don't sin a lot. Just saying. But they're made by sinful people, so they're, but anyway, I'm thinking that, but you know what I think he's talking about? If you pay attention when you brought a sin offering, you know, those who were doing okay for sin offerings, you had to bring a bull, right? And some of us, there's not enough bulls. But you had to bring a bull. And then if you were poor, you could bring a couple dove. Almost anybody could go catch a dove or buy a dove. But then if you were super poor, what did you bring? You brought a grain offering. Because you couldn't afford the bull, you couldn't afford the dove, Isn't God good? When you think about that, isn't God good? Now listen, the grain offering was a representation at that point of blood. So it's not like, listen, it's not like blood didn't matter, but it represented it. And you and I need to know something, man. Unless you believe that sin is ugly and the blood is necessary for sin to be forgiven, you're kind of fooling yourself, and you're in la-la land. Now, one more thing. It's not just blood. Like they didn't just get animals and bleed them, right? And then tell them go away, you know, like we we give blood now, you can give a pint of blood, get up and walk out, right? You're fine. So it wasn't that. That blood represents death. The animal had to die. So now he's laid all of that out. Now, now think about, you're in the first century, you're a Jew, you know that stuff, but maybe you've never really thought about that stuff. And then now, listen, in and, and your mind, you're and, and don't we do this often, don't we romanticize some things that really weren't that pretty back then? You know what I'm talking about? Like we'll, we'll, we'll say, oh, I remember when, and somebody will go, dude, that was ugly, that was horrible. When I was a little guy, I had a godfather. And it's much like the mob. And uh, my godfather was from the old country. And uh, I, I just, it was, he was hilarious. He's a little guy. He was kind of a mobster too. He's a little guy. And I remember we would sit there and watch TV and Nick, Nick would sit there and he'd go, oh, that just reminds me of the old country. We're watching Bonanza. <laughs> it's like Nick. What does bonanza have to do with Yugoslavia? Oh, you just don't know. And again, romanticizing, right? It had nothing to do. And, but yet we tend to do that. That's what they were doing. They were, they were looking back and they were going, oh, I remember when we'd go to the temple and it was so nice. No, it wasn't nice. Do you understand what, what hey, do you understand what worship was back then? Here's what worship was. Let's drag an animal into this place and watch someone slaughter it. That was worship. Do you think you dressed up to go to church back then? You wore your funky clothes, right? That's what was going on. So kind of get a picture. But yet in their hearts, they're kind of thinking, ah, uh, and here's the lie of the enemy. I want to go back. For some of us. He dangles this quote carrot in front of us. And Then we begin to romanticize and we begin to we begin to look at that thing. No, it wasn't that nice. As a matter of fact, it was ugly you got to remember that. And here's what he's telling them. You guys have to remember that. So now, listen, he's put that in their face, and I kind of like it. Now, now he gets to what he wants to. This is like some of the best part of the book of Hebrews. Look at verse 23. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Here's what he's saying. I just told you what went on. They had to be purified. How much greater, if heaven? If the real objects are that much greater, how much greater of a sacrifice? Are you tracking with them? What were they purified with? The blood of bulls and goats, the blood of animals. What were the heavenly things purified with? Well, let's read on. Listen, he says, such greater for verse 24 for Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as a high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. Here's what he's saying. How did Jesus go into heaven? His blood. Wasn't the blood, listen, listen, it wasn't the blood of some animal that was drug in. Think about the, you know, and I'm not an animal rights guy, but I think that would stink to be a, you know, a sheep or something back then. Come on, come on. Here's this animal. Do you think the animals trotted in there? Woohoo! They're like, right? And then you have this uncooperative animal not comprehending what's going on, and all of a sudden, man, the priest grabs it, and out comes the blood. It's not how it happened with Jesus. how did it happen with Jesus? He fully intended to give himself as a sacrifice. He wasn't uncooperative. It didn't sneak up on him. You know, it cracks me up when some people go, Jesus just didn't see what was gonna happen. Seriously? He knew exactly what he was doing every single moment. And that's his point. And listen, he didn't go into just that tabernacle on earth. Jesus went into the heavenlies. And he doesn't have to do it often. Notice what he said there at the end. He doesn't have to do it often, right? He says he, says he didn't do it often, like the high priest every year with the blood of another. Look at verse 26. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Here's what's going on. Jesus doesn't over and over and over have to sacrifice. Now I'm gonna say something that might upset some people and I'm sorry if it upsets you, but it's true. The Catholic mass is done every week or sometimes multiple times a week. Every time a priest does a mass, he in his mind and in his theology is crucifying Christ over again. What does this say? It's one and done, once. You don't have to do it over and over. You don't, have to, you don't have to perform that ritualistic stuff over and over. He did it once. And what does he say? If it, wasn't, if it wasn't one and done, you would have to go back before the foundations of the world and he would have to do it over and over and over. They know They know the high priest every year had to go in there. And we're going to get to that in a moment. Remember, he went in there. He had the rope tied to his ankle. He had the bells on. They're in there. He's back behind there. They All they know is if he stays back there and croaks, It's not a good thing because what was he doing? He was going to represent them before the mercy seat of God, and if he dies, that means their sins have not been taken care of. So there was some anticipation. I'm just building it up for you guys. But Jesus did it once for all. We don't have to worry. You don't have to wake up in the morning and hope that the blood of Jesus Christ was enough. You're given a promise of eternal inheritance. Isn't that what he said? And then even greater than that, at the end of verse uh, 26, here's what he says. He has prepared, or he has a, appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Man, if you're a Bible marker, underline put away sin. Sin is done away with. Some of you are going, dude, here's the thing. It's power is done away with. As a Christian, you don't have to sin. Do you know that? You don't have to sin. Before you were saved, You just sinned naturally, right? I mean, it was like just falling off a log. You get saved. Here's the truth and the reality that I think a lot of us miss. We don't have to sin. When the enemy comes and tempts you, here's what you need to say. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't have to do that. I've been set free from that. Jesus Christ came and gave himself to put sin away. Get out of here. Go away. Go away. And we need to remember that as believers. Listen, I think that is one of the most powerful parts of Hebrews. He came and he appeared and he gave himself to put away sin. Man, you get that, you get that in your heart. You start living your life way differently. You start looking at things way differently. But if you live in a in a in a place and in a theology where where you're worried about whether your sin is good or not? Or I'm sorry, whether your salvation is good or not? What do you do every time? You try and crucify him over again. You try and go through that whole process over again. We need to hold in our hearts, man. Sin has been put away and sin is gone. And he says, man, it has been put away. Look at verse 27, he says, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Hey, check that out. Ever since we were born, we've been dying. And I know some people get uptight. Death is coming, whether you like it or not. And we need to, I think, sometimes come to grips with that. I remember years ago, I must have been in Hebrews talking about dying, and we were on the radio, and this guy called in, he was pretty upset. He was very angry, as a matter of fact. How dare you talk about death on the radio? I'm thinking, so I took his phone call, and he would start just yelling at me. And I go, okay, let's like calm down. What station did you hear our message on? It was the local rock and roll station. Do you ever listen to the lyrics? That's what I wanted to tell him, because here's what he's saying, my nine-year-old got scared. Why are you letting your nine-year-old listen to a bunch of rock and roll, number one? You know, And it was 60s rock and roll, that's the rock and roll I know. And I know what they're talking about. They're talking about drugs and sex. Puff the Magic Dragon was not some sweet little nursery rhyme. <laughs> And so this guy's like all in my face, and I go, okay, look, look, why do you have a problem? He said, because you scared my son. And I said, okay, I understand. So here's what I want you to do. Bring your son to me, and let me have a conversation with him. And I will introduce him to Jesus Christ, and he will never be afraid of dying again. And the guy went, goodbye. Isn't that the truth? We're dying. I'm not afraid to die. I'm kind of afraid of the process because I've never done it, right? I mean, hey, come on, if we're all honest, you know, it's like, wow. I'm, but I'm not afraid of the consequences because I know where I'm going. But everyone, listen, everyone's gonna die. Now, now, here's what cracks me up. You read this section and here's where the, here's where the Bible unscholars, I call them, the Bible unscholars that wanna argue, they go, well, your Bible's wrong, dude. Why is it wrong? Well, it says it's appointed to man to die once. What about Enoch? I'm going, seriously? Like, you don't even know the story of Enoch. Where did you come up with that? And then they start naming these things, right? What about Enoch? What about Elijah? What about the people that died twice? Jesus rose some people from the dead. What about those guys? And I'm going, I go, listen, he's not giving an absolute, absolute. He's giving a principle, but let's even just skip that. Let's say it's appointed, and who's to say Enoch's not gonna come and die? I mean, he may die, and Elijah. Now, the people who were raised and died twice, let's, let's, just, let's just kinda skip that part for a moment and go to the last part of that because here's what he says. It's appointed for man to die once or twice or never, <laughs> right? Oh, if we get raptured, if we get raptured, we're not gonna die, right? Hallelujah. We're going to talk about that in a moment. So listen, don't use that argument. So we'll put all that in there. We'll fill all that in. As it is appointed for man to die once, get raptured, walk walk with the Lord and walk into heaven. You know, whatever you want to put or die twice. But listen to the last part. But after this, the judgment. God's not giving us an absolute about death. He's giving us an absolute about judgment you're going to face judgment. And I do believe, listen, I do believe this is a good passage against reincarnation. Reincarnation is like one of the most bogus, bogus lies that people are told. A good friend of mine, like I, see, I grew up in the 60s or I was a teenager in the 60s when everybody's finding themselves and you know, doing a lot of psychedelic drugs and those things so you can find yourself a good friend of mine, I'm talking to him one time, and, and Randy, here's what he tells me, he goes, dude, reincarnation is awesome. I'm going, really? I go, really, Randy? Like, I never got into Eastern mysticism, I don't know why. I just, I, I just always thought it was weird. And so he's like telling me, and I go, well, what's up, man? And he goes, in my former life, I was King Tut. <laughs> now, here's the deal, I know three people that I've had that same exact conversation with that they were all King Tut. But let's just give Randy the benefit of the doubt. So I look at him and I go, seriously, like you were King Tut? And he goes, yeah. And I go, and now you're in Bisbee, Arizona? I said, dude, you are going the wrong way, right? You're not climbing, you're sinking lower and lower. So your reincarnation theory doesn't work. What a bogus lie. He wasn't King Tut. After you die or get raptured, you are going to face judgment. That's the fact. That's what's going on. That's what he's trying to get us across. We need to understand that. Now, once again, at that judgment, what are you going to rely on? Your own blood or the blood of Jesus? The blood of Jesus. It's like a no-brainer, right? So then, listen, now, now, this is the best part. All of that was good, and all of that was to say this. So let's read 27, 28 together. And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, uh, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. He wasn't offered many to bear the sins of one. He was offered once to bear the sins of many. Now, listen. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Woo! Yes, he is coming again. And I love that. Listen, man, I read that and I go, yes, yes. All of my life, man, I grew up, I was an altar boy. I carried a cross. I wore a robe. I did all of No one ever told me Jesus was coming back. When I got saved and I found out, I was a little bit angry. Like, you religious people are keeping the major secret. Man, don't you think that's something everybody should know? He's coming back. And listen, man, he's not coming back for sin. He's coming back for salvation or judgment, depending on which side you're on. Now, here's what I find interesting is is he put it to these people. Let's get in their mindset just for a moment. On the day of atonement, the high priest did his ritual, slit the you know, the throats of the animals, he got that blood, he got everything ready, he went in that back room, there's a rope on his ankle, there's a bell, ding-a-ding-a-ding-a-ding, and he's back there, and everybody's outside gathering. Listen, don't you know that they gathered all around that tabernacle? It was a huge deal, listen, this was the day your sins were covered. That's big. And they're all gathered. What was their greatest anticipation? To see that high priest again. Man, if he pokes his head out of that curtain, not the Holy of Holies because he couldn't be in there, out of the second curtain, he pokes his head out of the tabernacle. Woo, right? Come on. They're like, yes! Is that how you feel about the second coming of Christ? Are you anticipating it? Listen, imagine they're anticipating. Are you into? Do you wake up in the morning shocked that you're still here? I think we should. We should. Are you, are, I'm blown away. We ha- we, our, our theological discussion, actually, we did some theology back there today. And the whole idea was hey, what's going on right now? What's happening right now? And we were talking about the rapture. I'm shocked when I wake up in the morning. Like, why am I still here? At noon, I will be shocked that we're still here. I'm anticipating Jesus to show up at any moment. And when he shows up, I'm not going to be freaked out. I've shared many times my greatest prayer is that he'll come when I'm in a pulpit because then I'm usually not sinning. So I want him to show up when I'm not sinning. I think that, hey, you don't want, listen, you don't want to be in the middle of some big old horrendous sin and all of a sudden there's Jesus. Jesus. Oh, I was just thinking about you. Not. (laughs) Right? But man, do you anticipate? Think about, put yourself in there and maybe you even need to go home and spend some time. Put yourself in their position, how they were feeling when a high priest was behind that curtain and behind everything. And we should have that same anticipation with Jesus. I mean, he could show up at any minute. This this is why, listen, this is why I'm a firm believer in the pre-trib rapture. Every other rapture position, things have to happen. In the pre-trib is the only one where he can show up at any moment. And if you're believing he's going to show up at any moment, you're going to live your life a little bit differently. If you think he's going to show up, listen again. Most of us, I think, that's a great, great motivation not to sin. Right? I mean, I, I, we kind of laugh, but I don't want to be sinning when he comes. I want to be. I want to be praising him. Do you think he's going to come? I think he's going to come today. Some of you are going, dude, that's your problem. <laughs> so you don't believe it. We say we believe it, but we don't believe it. I mean, come on. Listen, and I'm not just saying for an escape. I've gone through, you know, trials and tribulations, and, uh, you know, and, and I don't mean this lightly, but I'm really not afraid of those. And I'm not afraid of you know, some new world order or any of that. I'm not afraid of that stuff. I just want to be in his presence. I want to be close to him. I want to be hanging out with him. And I do have to confess, I really want a new body. (laughs) Like, I've I've messed this one up. It's got screws and metal and stuff in it, and I'm just tired of this body. I'm ready for a new one. So that part, but... Too many people say that we look forward to His coming because we're trying to escape something. No, I anticipate His coming because that's the completion of my salvation. And that's when it's physically realized. I believe I'm seated seated in the heavenlies right now. But for some reason, I have to hang out here. But listen, man. You and I, we need to be what he's saying man. He wrote this whole thing, and then at the very end, he says, he's coming back for you. Hallelujah, huh? So that's where we should be, and we should be people who are looking forward to that. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I I do thank you. You know, what a great, great uh, passage, and, and Lord, just an exhortation to think about stop looking at other things, rituals. And even some of us, we came out of a real ritualistic thing. Stop looking at that and start looking at the reality, the reality of what Jesus Christ has done. He came once, he died on purpose, and he rose again on the third day. And however that happened, the blood was taken into the heavenlies. And now we have the freedom and the opportunity to go right into the presence of God. Thank you for that. And Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for brothers and sisters that we would be people who just as they anticipated that high priest coming out of that tabernacle, that we would anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ. And we would be looking for it every single day. Thank you for saving us, God. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer. if If you're here and God touched your heart this morning, and right now you're feeling like you really, you really don't have that relationship that we've been talking about with Jesus, man, today is the day of salvation. And it doesn't matter if you've been coming to this church for 15 years, or if today's the first time you ever walked in here. If God is drawing your heart to his heart, you need to get real and you need to get honest with him. And you need to come to the place, and I'm gonna lead you in a prayer that says these things. You need to come to a place that, where you can tell God that you know you're a sinner. And again, I like to share, that shouldn't be hard. Every person in here has sinned. And that's not a hard one. To, so you need to come to that place. Secondly though, as you come to that place, you need to be sorry for your sin. And then you need to ask Jesus to forgive you because he went to the cross for you. So you come to that place, you get real, and here's what I know, the truth from God's word. You come to that place, then you will be delivered from sin, from the bondage of sin. You will be set free from guilt and shame. So I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And you can say this prayer with me out loud, you can say it silently. It's just gotta come, it's gotta be a sincere prayer from your heart. Maybe you're backslidden and you've gotten away from the Lord. You know what? Come home. Come back to Jesus. His arms are stretched out wide for you. He loves you. He's not going to turn you away. If you're watching online, say this prayer with us and God will hear you. You don't have to be in this building. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you, God. And today I realize I need forgiveness. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for giving me forgiveness. Now I want you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life and guide me. Today, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.